0: I'm going to be speaking today about Jesus calming the storm. And because Phil is a sailor, I've asked him to just share with us a little testimony about his recent sailing trip. Good morning all. Remember last week's weather? We all know what a
1: squall is. Linda and I decided as it was August that we go to France on our small little catamaran. And I'll give you some idea of what it was like very quickly. You see a squall coming from a long way away. It normally means that things are going to get quite hairy on a sailing boat. You see the rain stretching down to the horizon and gradually the land disappears in the blackness. When the squall hits, the rain changes from heavy to horizontal. You can't see because you're looking into the rain It's between your glasses on the inside and you even think it's on the inside of your eyeballs. (laughs) You're steering away. The land disappears completely. The white tops on the sea, which you're normally used to on a sailing boat, disappear because the rain hammers the sea so hard, it flattens those waves off, but the green swell still stays. The boat plunges into the green swell, you get a greenie over the top and it floats you on the trampoline. (laughs) You hang on, wave after wave, the storm fades away, you see land slowly start to appear and you thank God that nothing broke. And how did your wife handle it so? She's an excellent crewman now. She can, <laughs> she can stand up on the boat most of the time now. And she was steering in 14 knots coming home, well but done. not in a squall.
0: <laughs> well done, Linda. Thanks, Phil. So if anyone wants to ride on Phil's boat, go and see him afterwards. <laughs> <coughs> Praise the Lord. We've been looking at Jesus' life. The series we're in at the moment is called Letting People See Jesus. And it's amazing. we Almost into the last year of his life. This is the last story before we get into that last 12 month period before Jesus was crucified. He's been ministering and going around doing amazing things. And we finished looking at the parables last week. And we're now going to look at this story where Jesus calms the storm. And I believe it's going to help us today. So Lord Jesus, we just pray. I pray right now for my heart and my mind, Lord. I pray for calmness. I pray for stillness from the storms. Lord, those winds that would blow in, that come from the side and blow me, of course, where I'm trying to think about you and suddenly I'm thinking about something else. Suddenly I'm thinking thoughts that make me cringe. I'm thinking, why do I think, why does that thought come into my mind? Lord, I pray right now for a calmness and a stillness in our hearts as we learn from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Let's read together Mark chapter 4. Verse 35, on the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. So Jesus has been standing in his boat telling parables to people for the whole day and it says he just carried on in the boat. He didn't get off and have a shower and something to eat. They just went straight over to the other side of the lake and they were going to go. There was a man who was full of demons, a legion of demons in him on the other side of the lake. Jesus, I believe, knew he had to go there to try and minister to this man. And he said to the disciples, we're going somewhere. He had a direction and destination in mind. So, on the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. and the sea obey him. Amazing story. I wonder how you and I would have reacted if we were the disciples. He puts us in a boat. He says we're going to the other side. The Bible says that he fell asleep in the stern, the back of the boat, right next to the rudder. So Jesus would have said, guys, we're going to that place. They were fishermen. They knew this lake well. They would have sailed on it hundreds of times. And they knew what he was saying, where they were going. And then he Gets the rudder in place, maybe, I don't know, kept his hand on it, I don't know, or tied it in place. And then he fell asleep in the back of this boat. They found in 1986, they dug up a boat from this period from the Sea of Galilee. And they know what this boat was like. It was about 27 feet long, about 9 feet wide, uh, four sets of oars, a sail, and a rudder at the back. And there was a big place in the stern at the back where there was a cushion where someone could sit. And Jesus fell asleep there. He says, we're going, and he falls asleep. They, they set off, and maybe the, the squall started coming, and they started realizing it, it's getting a bit stormy. They were sailors. They knew what was happening. It started getting more, and the Bible says that it wasn't just a storm outside or on the sea. There was a storm going on in their hearts. Jesus said, why are you so fearful? There was fear starting to come. Have you ever had storms of of doubt and fear come into your mind you know where God wants you to go he's told you to do something and you start off on it and you say yes I'm going for the Lord and suddenly these winds of thoughts and and fears start blowing into your mind and taking you off course should I why am I what about this and it got even worse the disciples then said Jesus don't you care that we're perishing?" Can you see what's happening in their hearts and minds? More than the storm on the sea, their hearts are starting to churn and they're saying, does he really care? Have you ever had that? Have you ever been in church or in a Bible study or or trying to pray and a thought comes into your mind? Does God really care? Is this really, does he really want the best for me? When he says I must do this, is that really good for me? or Isn't it better if I just follow the world and my friends and my family and what everyone else says and just go this and do this sin or do this other thing or go off course? Isn't it better if I just go this other way? And these stormy thoughts come into our minds. Can anyone relate? I read a book recently and a man said in his conferences he asks the question and he never gets less than 30 3% people saying yes. He asked the question, how many of you have been woken at night with an overwhelming fear or dread? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but have you? Or or it's often at night, just an irrational thing comes into you. Suddenly you're just overwhelmed with fear or thoughts of negativity. Or you're trying to pray, or you're trying to do something for the Lord, and you just feel like you're getting blown off. You can't stay up the course. That's what we're talking about today. There's four words that I want to cover. Purpose, problems, power, and peace. I wonder if you can remember those. If you can remember those four words, today is going to help you because it relates to everything we do in our Christian life. First of all, there's purpose. We've got to have a purpose. We've got to know what the Lord wants us to do. If we don't, we're like a ship that's just drifting. There's no rudder. I don't know which side of the lake I'm going. Am I even on the lake? Oh, well, Lord, whatever happens, happens. We've got to have purpose. Then the problems come. And we see from the story that they weren't just natural problems. It was the devil who caused the problems. Because when Jesus rebuked the wind and the waves, he said, peace be still. And that's the exact Greek words he used to say to demons. Exactly the same, rebuke. You don't rebuke something unless it's an enemy. He rebuked the wind and the waves. The devil put the problems. And then there was power. And then there was peace. So much peace. Jesus had the peace all along. He fell asleep. Isn't it amazing? The wind and the waves are blowing so much that these seasoned sailors and fishermen say, we are perishing. They they thought they were going to die. And yet Jesus is asleep. Isn't that amazing? It says there was a great calm that came on the water. I want to say to you today, I want to promise you, my brother and sister in Christ, you can get to the place where you have a purpose. You know what God wants you to do. The problems come, you deal with them with the power of the Lord, and you have a great peace. It's possible. It's possible that your thoughts aren't continually in turmoil, that you aren't always worried and fearful, that you aren't being pulled off here and there, but you can have a great peace. And you say, I know where I'm going. A brilliant illustration I heard recently was, this guy said it's a bit like in the old westerns in, on TV or in the movies, where this guy, he's standing on this long street in a, in a, in a town, in a western. And there's all these t- buildings and saloons on the side of the street. And there's the other end of the street is the destination he wants to go on, go to. And he looks at it, he focuses where he wants to go, and he starts walking. And he says, our Christian life is like that. God calls us to something, and we've got to walk down the street, but calling out of the windows of these buildings on either side of the street are demons. And they're saying, hey, why don't you try this sin? Hey, God doesn't really love you. Hey, what about brother so-and-so? Isn't he horrible? And we can get to the place where we just stop walking and we just so Worried by all these voices that sometimes we just stop and we sit down in the middle of the street and we're completely ineffective as Christians. Or we can get to the place where we're so focused on the voices that we're no longer walking forward. We're just fighting all these voices that are kind of shouting at us from the windows. God wants us to get to the place where we can have peace and calm. And the voices come, but they don't stop us. They don't distract us. And we keep going where God wants us to go. I want that. Do you? It's possible, friends. Jesus said, first of all, purpose. He said, let us go to the other side. You've got to have purpose, friends. That's the first point in this. Purpose, problems, power, peace. You've got to know where God's wanting you to go. I wonder if you know. I wonder if you've had a word from the Lord where God says, this is what I want you to do. And it's got to be a word from the Lord, not a word from myself. Not, well, I would love to do. No, no. What does God want you to do? Amen. Purpose. The Bible is full of this word purpose. Let me just read you a couple of verses. Isaiah 46 says, God says, my purpose will stand. I will do all that I please. God is a God of purpose. He knows what he wants to achieve. Purpose means I have a goal. I have a measurable, achievable target in mind. I know what I'm trying to do. Not just, oh, well, I'll float through my Christian life and I'll see what happens. God is a God of purpose. Proverbs 19, 21. Many other plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. God has something specific that He wants to do with you, with this church. With every situation that He comes into contact with, God says, I have a purpose. Do you know what your purpose is from the Lord? This is a little advert now for a sermon series that's going to be starting in about three weeks' time. We're going to be starting about a five-week series called Find your purpose. And it's going to be awesome. I'm really excited about it. I believe the Lord has got something really wonderful for us. We're just going to take a mini break from the Jesus series. And talk about finding our purpose. How do I know what God wants for me? And then how do I move forward? So the first point is you've got to have a purpose. And you've got to come to that sermon series. that's starting, I think it's the 21st of September. The second point is problems. Let me just ask you a question. If demons were real, which they are, but let's just just hypothesize for a bit. If demons are real and they want to distract us and they want to get us off track, how would they do that best? They don't have power to hurt us greatly because Jesus has defeated them on the cross. We as Christians are, are covered by the blood of Jesus. We're protected. But how are demons going to get us off track? I want to say to you, that they 've got several methods or several tactics that they use and i 'm going to just try and describe a little bit for you today. One of them is they 'll say to you don 't worry about demons demons don 't even exist don 't for Christians, demons are not a problem don 't worry about them that 's one thing so when these winds and these thoughts and these passions and different ideas come and blow you, of course, you say, oh, it's me. I'm so rubbish. I'm so useless. I'm such a rubbish Christian. I'm trying to pray and this thought just takes my mind and this thing. Oh, I'm so useless. If you think demons aren't real and they don't exist, then that's the way that you'll, that you'll go. Another tactic, if you realize demons are real, their other tactic is to make themselves seem bigger and more fearful than they really are. They'll say, we are so strong and scary and powerful and we'll just dominate and control your life and you'll be so miserable and they make themselves seem bigger than they are and then they come and they tempt it's a bit like a dog at the door and there's a dog scratching to get in and somebody says to you that dog will bite you don't let it in and when it's scratching on the door it's whining it's saying, like, oh let me in let me in and eventually you think oh okay and you open the door and the dog comes in and he bites you on the leg That's what the devil does. When he's tempting, he comes in in a, in a tempting way. He tries to lure you. But once he's in, he bites you and then he accuses you. He says, you are so stupid for opening the door. That's how he works. Now, what's the answer? The answer is not to beat myself up for opening the door. The answer is to kick the dog out. <laughs> That's what we've got to get as Christians. You know, the devil makes us think. He tempts you, tempts you, tempts you, tempts you. All sorts of little thoughts and nattering. And then when you give in, he says, You are such a useless Christian. And the answer is not to beat ourselves up, but to get the dog out. Rebuke the wind and the waves. Peace, be still. I want to just show you something that I've found recently that I found so amazing. There's a Greek word called noema. N-O-E-M-A. And it only occurs six times in the Bible. And I'm going to read you all six of those occurrences. And it's translated mind or thoughts. And I'm wanting to show you how the devil attacks you. You know, many of us as Christians think, how's the devil going to attack me? Well, I don't know. He's going to send a ghost into my room. Is he going to cause disease? What's What's he going to do? He attacks our minds. And this word noema is so helpful. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 3. Paul is writing to a church. He says, I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds, noema may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. He says, just as the serpent deceived Eve, he's talking to Christians, us. He says, I fear for you because just like the serpent deceived Eve, that the devil will, your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Your Noema. That's the first time it appears. Your minds. So I'll come back to this in a minute. But just think about it. Just as Eve was deceived, he says we can be deceived exactly the same way. What's another place where, where this appears? 2 Corinthians 3.14. Sorry, four, 4 verse 4. The unbelievers, it says their minds have been blinded by the God of the sage. So they cannot believe and they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. It says their minds have been blinded, Noema, by the enemy, by the God of the sage, by the devil. Okay, another place where this appears. It's talking about the Jews. It says their minds, Noema, were blinded. And they have a veil over their minds. So they can't understand the New Testament. What's another place? In 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11. He says. Forgive the brother who sinned. Lest Satan should take advantage of us. For we are not unaware of his schemes or devices or thoughts. And it's that word noema again. He says. If you don't forgive a brother in your church who sins. Be careful. Because Satan can take advantage of us. Because that's. His, one of his devices or his mind tricks. So can you see how every time this word mind comes up, it's related to the devil. Very interesting. And then one more. Listen to this one. He says, The weapons of our warfare, that's us as Christians, are not fleshly, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself ...against the knowledge of God, we bring every thought, noema, into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And there's one more occurrence of that word, which I'll tell you about in a moment. It says that if we're anxious, we present everything to God... ...and He will guard our hearts and our noema with the peace of God. Great calm. Six times this word mind, scheme, thought, noema comes up... Every time it's talking about the devil, that's how the devil wants to get Christians. He's not going to come to you in this big, weird, red devil suit with a tail and and try and do something terrible to you. He'll get into your thoughts. And it says, Paul says, I fear just as Eve was deceived, your minds will be deceived by the devil. Please think with me for a second. How was Eve deceived? She's innocent. She's pure. She is in relationship with God. She's protected by God. And the devil comes up to her. What does he say? He says, did God really say that you can't eat any of the fruits in the garden? So Eve is there and she says, well, no, he didn't say that. He said, we can't eat that fruit because then we'll die. And the devil says, you won't surely die. God knows that you'll be like him, knowing good and evil. And it says, when Eve saw that the fruit was desirable and good for food, and she thought she might get wisdom, she took some and ate. Paul says, just as Eve was deceived, you and I, please get this, you and I can be deceived exactly the same way. So what's going to happen? The devil's going to come in and he's going to say, does... God really say this? Does God really say this? This is why it's so important that we establish the Bible is true. You know, Augustine said, if you choose the parts of the Bible you want to believe and choose other parts you don't want to believe, then it's not the Bible you believe, it's yourself. We've got to say the word of God is true. If you start taking bits of the Bible and you say, that one doesn't apply. That one's cultural. That one's something else. That's not right. That's not for today. That, that, that. Pretty soon, the devil has got in there just like he did with Eve. And he says, did God really say? And any verse you read, you start thinking, did God really say that? And before you know it, you have nothing to stand on. Nothing. Nothing. You've got to have the word of God as your, as your basis. So the devil comes in and he starts. Uh, 1 Timothy 4 verse 1. The spirit expressly says in the last day. Many will fall away from the faith. By following deceiving spirits. Many will fall away from the faith. Why? Because the demons will come and they'll say. Did God really say this? No this doesn't really mean this. No that means that. But the word of God has to be our basis. So purpose. We know where we're going from God. I trust and I pray that you will find where, where God wants you to be. Problems will come. You know, many people say, oh, demons are not a problem for us as Christians. If they weren't, why would Paul say we wrestle against power's principalities? Christians, we wrestle. He says, many will follow deceiving spirits. He says, I fear lest you may be deceived like Eve. He says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. He says, submit to God, resist the devil. All of these verses are spoken to Christians. Uh, Ephesians 4, 20, 27. Give no place to the devil. He's talking to Christians. And yet many of us are going in our little boat and the winds are blowing us off course and all over the place and our thoughts and our fears. And, and we don't think it's the devil. We think, oh, well, the Lord. <laughs> the Lord didn't, obviously didn't want me to go to that church meeting, join this Bible study, do this Ministry for him. The Lord obviously didn't want me to do this. Uh, You know, these storms are coming. It must be God who's stopping me. No, beloved, please. Please understand. There's an enemy. He's not huge. He's not, you know, terrible. He's not insurmountable. But he exists. Amen? He's not insurmountable. I just want to give you a little preview now from the... Demons and Deliverance course that we're going to do. You know, many people say that demons are fallen angels. Have you heard that? And yet twice in the Bible, in Jude and 2 Peter, it says that the fallen angels are in chains forever. Did you know that? You see, we think fallen angels are these huge, terrible creatures. So powerful, strong Angels. I mean, how can I fight an angel? They're so strong. Jude 1 verse 6. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he is reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Fallen angels are not demons. Satan is a fallen angel. He's the only one. But the demons are not fallen angels. They're much lesser creatures. They're much less powerful. They're whimpering, whining little things. James, uh, I think it's chapter 3 or 2, says that demons are trembling creatures. They're fearful. They're weak. They, they're not as strong as we think they are. Jesus meets the demoniac uh, just after this story. And, and they beg him, please let us go to the pigs. They're scared little things. They, they want to be in a body. Fallen angels don't need to be in a body, but demons do. They want to be in a a body. They'll even go into a pig rather than be outside of a body. They're they're not that powerful. But if you think they don't exist, you'll never overcome them. Please. That's why we're doing this course on demons and deliverance. We can be free. Every one of us. They will attack us, but we can be free. There really is victory. So, purpose, (laughs) problems, power... I've just spoken about it. Jesus stands up. He says, peace, be still. He rebukes the wind and the waves. And it says there was a great calm. Amazing. All of a sudden, a great calm. Friends, I want to tell you, I want to promise you today that if you will learn simple, simple truths from the Bible, you can have peace. You can have great peace in your life. You can get ready to pray, to read the Bible, to go to church, to do something for the Lord. And the thoughts can shout at you and say, no, Greg's a terrible guy, or whatever it is. By the way, I've had several people who've told me that the devil said to them, Greg, ooh, he's a bad guy. Don't listen to him. If it's something about my dress sense or my sense of humor, then it's not a demon. It's probably the truth. But if, but if it's telling you that he's just a bad guy, don't trust him. I'm telling you what it is. I'm telling you. We wander along. We think, oh no, demons are other people, other things. You know, that's somewhere far away. People have got demons. The Bible says the devil will lie to your mind. It's just a fact. We think if it's in my head, it's my thought, don't we? (laughs) We think if I thought it, then it must come from me. The Bible says... Just just think about this for a second. Uh, 1 Chronicles 21 verse 1. It says the devil rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census. How do you think the devil incited David to take a census? A thought popped into his head. Hmm. I should probably count the people. Acts chapter 5. Ananias and Sapphira. The devil got into Ananias' heart to lie to the Holy Spirit to say how much money he got for the selling of his field. How did that happen? Did the devil force him? No, a little thought. Oh, let me just tell him I got this much instead of this much. The devil incited or got into Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus. How did that happen? Oh, does, does Jesus really want the best for us? Let me just, let me betray. It's always just a little thought. And we think, if it's in my head, I thought it. No, no, we've got to get to the place, like uh, 2 Corinthians 10 says, where we take every thought captive. I can stand at the gate of my mind, and every thought that comes in, I can, there's me and there's my thoughts. They're two separate things. And I can look at the thought, and I can say, is this true? And if it's not true, I take it captive to the obedience of Christ. I say, I will not think that. You can do this. But most of us Christians are in a boat... and we don't really know where the rudder is going... and we're just at the mercy of the winds. And whatever thought comes into our minds... whatever emotion comes in... I want to do this. I must do this. It's me. I want to. No, no. There's a shouting spirit telling you to. Take the thought captive. Get it. Say, is this true? And then move on. And when you do that... my brother or sister... You will have great peace. I'd like us to pray. Maybe we can play some music. Let's stand together. I'd like you to just pray with me. Let's just focus on the Lord Jesus. Say, Lord, we love you today. We love you, Lord. We worship you. Jesus, we want you in our boat. (laughs) Lord, we know the storms are going to come. But if you're in the boat, we can do this, Lord. We have the power. We have the authority. There's nothing that can harm us if we're with you. And Lord, I pray today that nobody would leave this place in turmoil. I pray that the storms would be calmed in our hearts right now. Lord. Friends, if you've got voices, if you've got thoughts in your mind that are pulling you one way or the other, that are accusing you, that are taking you off course, if you're overcome with panic, with fearful thoughts, Today's the day that we be free. In Jesus' name. Lord, we love you. Lord Jesus, let's just pray together. Just say, Lord Jesus, thank you that you're in my life. That you're in my boat. And that I have a purpose. Lord Jesus, today, I pray for your great peace. I submit to you, Lord. And now I resist the devil. I take every thought captive to your obedience. And in Jesus' name, enemy thoughts, I command you to be still and stop bothering me. And now, Lord, I present myself to you. All my anxieties, all my anxious thoughts, I give them to you with thanksgiving. And I pray for your peace to God, my heart and my mind. In Jesus' name. Folks, just enjoy that now. Just allow the peace of God to just come. We can be free today, brothers and sisters. We can be free. The enemy will try, but he cannot stop us. He cannot. Jesus, the Great One, stands up in our lives and says to those storms, those buffeting thoughts, He says, Peace, be still. He rebukes it in Jesus' name. And the peace of God guards your heart and your mind. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to ask you to just quieten yourself down now and just, if you've had these terrible. Things bothering you and, and distracting you just think is there peace now how's, how's it feeling in your heart and mind how's it feeling the peace of God a great calm and the great news is that you can do this you can resist the devil because Jesus is in your life he's in your bones. Lord I pray for my brothers and sisters now that Lord for all of us that you would help us to learn from this story. Lord. Help us to learn not to just be buffeted along, but to, to stand up, to rebuke, to not be fearful, to not doubt, but to take authority. To move forward in what you've called us to do. Lord, I pray for every one of us here that we would have purpose. And in the problems, we would have power and peace, Lord. In Jesus' name, I declare for every one of us, Lord, that we would have peace. The peace of God to guard our hearts and minds. Thank you.